question I want to ask this weekend is, how does God lead us? Does he lead us through a blueprint or does he have a game plan, right? Does, does God give us his G, GPS coordinates for the next step of our lives? Does he give us turn-by-turn directions and say, stop, don't do that, now go here? And, you know, and there are people who believe that. Or does he help us become wise people who make good choices and plan wisely? Well, I think it's pretty clear that I'm weighing this. The second option is what we're going to talk about. Uh, let me read you a couple of Proverbs as we get started this weekend. Look at what uh, Proverbs chapter uh, 16, verse 25 says. This is on page 495. There is a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. That's a little uh, moody, isn't it? Uh, look at Proverbs chapter 27, 1. Don't brag about tomorrow since you don't know what the day will bring. Sounds very similar to what Jesus basically says. Don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow is enough care of its own. Here's the, the principle I want you to see. Any wise planning, planning is God-dependent. In fact, in the New Testament, Jesus tells a parable about a man who had all these barns. And he had more than enough. And he says, what do I do? I have this bumper crop and I don't have anywhere to put it. He says, I'll build bigger barns and, and I'll just store more away. And God says to him, because this man was making nothing wrong with making plans, that's not the issue. The point was he was making plans without even consulting God. And God said to him, you fool. You fool. You know what a fool is? A fool is anyone who is the opposite of being wise. And, and God says, you fool. This very night, your soul will be required of you. So, um, I want to talk about a couple of things. Number one, what does God's guidance look like? What does God's guidance look like? How does God guide us? Uh, look at Proverbs chapter 21.5. Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. So good planning is strategic and thoughtful. It's not hasty. It's not impulsive. That's what good planning is. And so our choices matter. When we make good plans, it will lead to success. When we are impulsive, we soon find poverty. This means our plans matter. Our choices matter. Some of you are sitting there going, wait a minute. This isn't groundbreaking. This isn't anything I haven't heard before. This is just it seems. But look at what he says in Proverbs sixteen thirty three. Sixteen thirty three. We may throw the dice, but the Lord determines how they fall. <coughs> you know they're going to flip a coin tomorrow at the game, and uh, somebody's going to call heads or tails, and hopefully they'll get it right. Uh, you know, they won't bungle that like they have a few years ago. But ultimately what this is saying, even the coin flip, even God controls the coin flip when you flip a coin. Now, maybe you're seeing a tension between these two Proverbs, and you should. Because you may be asking, are my choices fixed if God controls even the flip of the dice? Is history open or is everything already fixed and determined by God? Therefore, my choices don't really matter at all. Hmm. Maybe you didn't see that. And now you're going, okay, I see it now and I'm troubled by it. 
And we tend to, we tend to go in one of two directions when we're, 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 we're confronted with this, this paradox, this mystery of Scripture. Um, uh, I don't want to call it a contradiction because I don't think it's a contradiction. I think it's a mystery. I think it's a paradox. Um, actually, it's more of a mystery, really. We often go two ways. One view is everything is fixed, so your choices don't matter. If God is sovereign, that means it doesn't really matter what you choose because He's sovereign and He chooses. You can't even flip the coin. You don't, yeah, you could flip it, but ultimately it's determined by God. Uh, so they go that side. Or some, some, some say, uh, it's like uh, if you've ever watched any of the Back to the Future movies, right? And there were, what, three or two or three of those movies. And uh, there was Marty McFly and there was Doc, right? And Doc basically said what our American pop culture loves. And this is what Doc said. It, the quote, one quote, he said, Your future is whatever you make it, so make it a good one. Right? We like that one. We go, yeah, that's, that's the one I want. Right? Uh, but the Bible doesn't say that, that, that our decisions are, 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 are null and void because God is sovereign and therefore it doesn't matter what we decide. Or it doesn't say your decisions are yours. You determine it. It doesn't say either one. What does it say? The Bible tells us that we're absolutely free to make choices. And God determines everything both true at the same time. Both of these are true at the same time. Let me say that one more time. What I'm saying is that our choices matter and God is sovereign over our choices. And that may sound like a a contradiction. It's not a contradiction. It's a mystery. Well, look at what Proverbs chapter 16 says. This is on page uh, 492. We can make our own plans, but the Lord gives us, gives the right answer. People may be pure in their own eyes, but the Lord examines their motives. Commit your actions to the Lord and your plans will succeed. We're going to come back to that proverb. Notice uh, the next one. The Lord has made everything for his own purposes, even the wicked for the day of a day of disaster. If you jump down in chapter 16 to verse 9, it says, We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. What are these verses saying? Oh, they're saying this. Your plans and choices are yours. You will be and you should be held accountable for your choices. That's what the scripture says over and over. But whatever happens in this world is controlled and fixed by God. At the same time, your choices matter, but... God is sovereign over your choices. Now, at this point, you should be having a hard time with this. Because in the human mind, we can't put these two together. They're like two rails of a train. As you look down the the rails, you see this rail that says, my choices matter and I get to choose. Uh, But on this rail, you say, the Bible says, but God is sovereign and even the flip of the coin is determined. And you say, I don't know how those fit together. And then you look down the rails and they come together in the horizon. And that's about the best we can do. See, a mystery, it's really a mystery. It's one of the mysteries of Scripture. Um, It's not a contradiction. It's a mystery. And our human minds can't resolve it. But I want to give you a biblical example where both of these truths, that our choices matter, but yet God was sovereign, come together. 
there's a few passages in Scripture where they come together. We don't have time to get into them this weekend, but I want to give you one big one. So uh, turn to Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50. This is on page 43 of your chair Bible. What's going on here is now Joseph. It's the story of Joseph. And Joseph has uh, now uh, saved his, his, his family. He has, uh, they've, they've, uh, brought, they've come to Egypt. He's, he's welcomed them there. The Pharaoh has welcomed them. Joseph is about second in the king, kingdom. He is very powerful. And uh, his brothers are afraid he's going to retaliate because his father Jacob has died. And so they said, well, while Jacob was alive, we were safe. But ultimately, now that dad is dead, he's going to get even with us. He's going to get back at us. And so we're in trouble. And so they come up with, they concoct some story saying, you know, dad told us before he died, you weren't there, but don't kill us. You know, and that wasn't true. Uh, But they said it. And Joseph responds and he says this. And this is where he brings those two threads together. That our choices matter, but God is sovereign. And notice what he says. Very interesting passage of Scripture. Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for, for good. He brought me to this position so that I could save the lives of many people. Do you see the balance there between the sinful action of the brothers and God directing his perfect will out in spite of or using their evil actions? God used their evil actions to carry out his perfect will. Are they responsible for their evil actions? Absolutely. That's what he's saying. The brothers were responsible for their sinful action, but God was completely sovereign over the outcome. Here we have it in the same verse. We have those two threads in Scripture. Genesis chapter 50 verse 20 is showing us that even bad things are part of God's plan. He's not, you know, the, the, the Bible never says that God is the author of evil, but that God can take evil and turn it around for good. People are responsible for their own evil deeds. God isn't responsible for evil. People are. But God can overcome evil deeds and still accomplish his perfect will. Now, there's two things we need to remember because this is where we tend to, when, when life gets hard, this is where we tend to go. The first one is we need to always remember that God is always there with us even when it seems otherwise. In other words, we have to believe that God still has a plan even when it doesn't look like it's working in our lives. You think Joseph, when he was sitting in prison, thought, oh, right, I'm right in the center of God's will. Good for me. No. I'm I'm sure he was thinking, where's God? What happened? Why doesn't he love me? Why doesn't he care for me? But yet, he was right in the center of God's will at that moment. And God was with him. So that's the first thing. Secondly, we must never think that we will ever understand what God may be doing in our lives or in the lives of others. Now, Joseph is at a a, a really interesting part of his life. He's able to look back and see what God was doing. Right? He's able to see, oh, you were doing that, and that happened. Oh, okay, I can see that. You know, I've had one or two moments in my life where I was able to, by the grace of God, look back and see why God did certain things, and I was just like, oh. It was a holy moment. It really was. They weren't easy times, but I could see God's sovereign will working out. 
It, it may be that there was something you desperately wanted and God said no. But as you look back, he said, oh, Lord, I dodged a bullet there. God saved me. Here, here's, the, here's the quick application you can make on this point. Make your plans in pencil. Make your plans in pencil. You may never know what God is doing, but understand that He may be doing something that's beyond your comprehension. But it doesn't mean He's not with you, and it doesn't mean He doesn't have a plan. Because Scripture says over and over that the opposite is true. That He is always with you, and He always has a plan. And He's always going to work it out for good for those that love Him. All right, so that's kind of how God uh, leads us. Now, how does God give us guidance? How does God give us guidance? Does he give us waypoints and say, turn left in half a mile? No. What, what does he do? How does God give us guidance? Look at uh, Proverbs 16.3. This is page 492. Commit your actions to the Lord and your plans will succeed. Now, as you read this, this is generally backwards to how we do it. How do we generally do it? How we often do it is we make our plans, right? And then we ask God to bless them. So we make our plans and then we ask God to bless them. That's not what this is saying. This says commit your plans to God first. Uh, we, we often make our plans and then we ask God to bless them. That's not what it says. It says commit your actions to the Lord. And then your plans will succeed. Now, that seems a bit different here. Now, the word commit here in the Hebrew means to put all your weight on him. You radically and unconditionally and completely trust him, even when you don't understand what he's doing. So this says, you know what we say, make our plans and pray for God's blessings. This doesn't say that. This says, commit, you, commit to God and he will direct your plans. You have to commit first. Uh, this is a, a little bit of a lengthy quote. This is written by Elizabeth Elliot. I want to read this quote. I think it's fabulous. The more we pay for advice, the more we're likely to listen to it. Advice which is from a friend is free. We may take it or leave it. Advice from a consultant, which we've paid for, uh, paid much for personally, we're more likely to accept. But it's still our choice. We can take it or leave it. But the guidance of God is different. First of all, we do not come to God asking for advice, but for God's will. And that is not optional. And God's fee is the highest one of all. It costs everything. To ask for the guidance of God requires abandonment. We no longer say, if I trust you, you'll give me such and such. Instead, we say, I trust you. Give me or withhold from me whatever you choose. This was written by Elizabeth Elliot, who lost her husband, Jim Elliot missionary uh, John Newton wrote what you will when you will how you will and so the proverb says commit yourself to God and he will bless your plans the point here I want you to see is you trust God by saying something like this this is what I'm talking about this is what it means to carry out this proverb you say something like this, Lord, from this moment on, I will obey anything you tell me, whether I understand it or not. And I will accept anything you send me, whether I understand it or not. But I will not bail on you because you'll never bail on me. 
Now, as you begin to follow this pledge, you will be led more and more by God into wise choices and planning. Now, you may be sitting there thinking, that seems difficult. Why can't God just give us a pill? Right? Why can't God just give us a, 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 a guidance pill, a wisdom pill, so that we know what to do in each situation? Well, let's go back to the Joseph story. What if God were to come to uh, the Joseph story, and instead of allowing this whole drama to play out, where uh, Jacob favors Joseph and gives him a coat of many colors, and his brothers hate him, hate him enough that they plot to kill him, but they, they, they withhold from that, and they sell him as a slave, and Joseph lives a, a number of years as a prisoner, and then finally comes to this place where he can exact revenge, but he chooses not to. Let's just say that they could take a pill. Or let's just say that God could warn them, right? So it would go like this. Imagine God intervening in the Joseph story before it began. And God does this. He goes to Jacob and says, Jacob, you're creating a monster with your son. You're over-favoring one son over the others, and the other brothers hate him. You are causing this strife. You've got to stop it. Stop it now. Take the coat away. Burn it. Do something with it. But just stop it. And you, Joseph, you're turning into a little brat. And if you're not careful, I mean, what are you thinking? You're going to go and flash your coat in front and say, nah, 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 nah. What do you think's going to happen? You know, you're not a very wise person. Just straighten out, knock it off. And you brothers, uh, yes, he's a little flea. He's kind of a pain in the butt. But you know what? You just got to stop. Because the more that your anger grows and the more that you plot to murder him, you're, you're just going down a really bad road. Just so stop doing that. And oh, by the way, in about 25 years, there's going to be a famine, and you better start saving food now because you're all going to die unless you do that. How would that work? Would they listen? Would they say, oh, Joseph, I'm so sorry that I'm spoiling you, and Dad, I'm sorry, I, I, you know, I am turning into a little bit of a brat, and Sorry, guys. Yeah, well, we're sorry, too. Hey, let's figure out how we can gather our crops together so that we won't die, you know. No, probably it wouldn't work. Would they do it? Would they believe it? See, here's the point. We don't generally learn by people telling us what's wrong with us. We'll never learn. We're sinners by being told you're a sinner. We have to be shown. I mean, think about it. After all, your mother's been trying for years to point out all of your flaws. And how is that working? Right? <laughs> You'll only see your flaws through the many up and down experiences of life. You'll never learn about God's love for you by being told God loves you. You won't. And you're proof of it. You know why? Because just about every week, somebody here in this room, whether it's through song or through me, through the message, tell you, God loves you. God loves you. And you say, I know, God loves me. I, I believe that God loves me. And I say, do you really? Would you really continue to live the way you are if you knew that God really loved you? Would your, has your life changed so radically because you really believe that God loves you? See, 
You need to be shown over and over that he loves you. You need to be put in difficult places and situations where God can rescue you and provide for you. And as he does that, you will learn his love. You will experience his love. You will remember the tight spot you were in and you prayed and God rescued you. You will remember when God helped you and was there. And and that's where you get that. See, we often think that God gives us directions and tells us what's the next step. And sometimes he does that. You know, the question really we need to ask is what kind of person does God guide? Um, We often ask, how can I get God to guide me? Right? How can I get God to guide me? But the real question is, what kind of person do I need to be to be guided by God? Look at these next Proverbs. <coughs> Proverbs chapter 11, verse 3. This is on page 488. Honesty guides good people. Dishonesty destroys treacherous people. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 5. The plans of the godly are just. The advice of the wicked are treacherous. One more. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15. Fools think their own way is right, but the wise listen to others. You know, these Proverbs, what they tell us is that God shows us what kind of person gets his guidance. The question is, can God guide a dishonest person? Well, probably not. Can God uh, guide an honest person? Yes, probably. In other words, God shows us what kind of person we need to be to receive his guidance. We have to be open to his guidance. We have to say, I care about what God thinks. So I don't live my life any way I want. I don't just steal and rob and lie and cheat because I care about what God thinks. I want God to guide me. If you're just a person that says, I don't really care what God thinks, and yet now I want God to guide me, you're not a guidable person. See, we want God. God shows us what kind of people we need to be to receive his guidance. We want God to tell us exactly what we should do. But that's not how God leads us. You know, there are times, and Moses got a burning bush. But that's not the norm. That's the exception to the rule. It doesn't happen every day. But that's what we want. We want a voice. We want a sign. We want, you know, Gideon lay fleece out. We want a burning bush. But you know what? Generally, God guides a certain kind of person. And if you want God's guidance, you have to be that kind of person to be guided by God. That's what it comes down to. Think about that. You do that as a parent. How do you guide your kids? If you're a good parent, you can't always be there to tell your kids what they should do. Now, when your kids are first born, you're everything to them, right? They can't can't live without you, literally. They need you to feed them and change them and clothe them, bathe them and care for them and cuddle them. They need everything. But as they grow up, They need to begin to make their own decisions. They need careful guidance in just about everything when they're young. But when they grow up, there's a point where you go, you have to figure this out. You have to grow up. You have to mature. You have to learn how to make these decisions. You have to become a wiser person to make decisions on your own. For example, don't have a six-year-old anymore, but if I had a six-year-old 
And they said, and some of my boys would say this, can I go out and play? I would say, okay, but dinner is in half an hour. You need to be in in half an hour. But go out and play. All right, that's fine. But when my boy goes to college, and he calls me up, and he says, Dad, can I go out to play? I go, what's wrong with you? That's not my, you should be way past that, buddy. What's wrong with you, right? There's a point where you go, you need to be the kind of person that can make that kind of decision. Right? How do you guide your children? You teach them how to be people that can be guided. You train them in wisdom. You turn them over to God. You pray that they will become the kind of people that God can lead. The question we ought to be asking is, when I want God to give me an answer to this. Is No, that's the wrong question. I want to become the kind of person that God can lead. Are you that person? Number one, do you even care what God thinks about your life and how you live and how you behave? When you hear God's word, do you say, I'll think about it. I'm not sure. Maybe because it's a hard decision. Well, you, you, if you're going to be the kind of person that you want God's guidance, it's not about you saying, God, guide me in this situation. It's about you being the kind of person that God can guide. That's how you get God's guidance. Let me close. Joseph said this in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so that I could save the lives of many people. Joseph, through his brother's betrayal and his own hardship, became a savior not only for his family, but for the nation of Israel. Through his going through this conflict with his brothers, going through the, 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 the passion, the trouble, the trial, he was able to come to a place where he is able to ultimately save his brothers and the nation of Israel. The ultimate Joseph, though, Jesus Christ, came as a Savior. Through the evil actions of men, he suffered and died, saving all who will trust in him. He's the ultimate Joseph. He came and he, he was, through evil men, he suffered and he struggled and he died as a criminal to save us. Now, I want to show you another one. You remember I said there's a number of passages in the Bible where we have this sovereign will of God and the free choice of man wedded together in the same. Let me give you another one. It's Acts chapter 2, page 831. Look at this. This is an amazing passage. People of Israel, listen. God public, this, this is Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost. And here's what he says. People of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus, the Nazarene, Nazarite, uh, by doing powerful miracles, wonders, signs through him, as you well know. But notice this next verse. But God knew what would happen in his prearranged plan. What is Peter saying? God knew that Jesus was going to come down this path was preordained that Jesus was going to come down this path of passion, this suffering path. Jesus came to die. He came to be crucified. 
the Messiah didn't come to reign and rule. He came to suffer and die. That's what he's saying here. Notice, though, he goes on. And it was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. Now, notice the next verse. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to the cross and killed him. What is he saying here? God foreordained his plan that Jesus would suffer and die. And the people who crucified him were absolutely and completely and totally responsible for his death. You nailed him to the tree. You're responsible for your actions. And nobody there that nailed him and nobody there that crucified him said, I am being controlled by a superior power. They did it freely. They chose to do it. Your, your, your choices matter, but God is sovereign at the same time. So my question as we close is this. Have you ever prayed to receive Jesus as your Savior? Salvation comes to those who know they can't save themselves. Salvation comes to those who know they need a Savior. Salvation comes to all who receive Him by faith. Have you ever called upon Him as Savior and said, Jesus, I am absolutely lost and hopelessly dead without You, and unless You come into my life and save me, I'm dead, I'm a sinner, I'm lost. The Bible says that what Jesus did on the cross is He gave His life for you. Have you ever given your life to Him? The Bible says that your choices matter. Have you ever asked Jesus to come into your life? The Bible says whoever calls, that's a choice, on the name of the Lord, shall be saved. Have you ever done that? What are you waiting for? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that you do guide but you guide us as we are guidable, become wise, looking for your will, looking for your guidance as we grow wise. Thank you that you can take even evil deeds of people and turn them around for our good. We don't understand this. We don't understand how you can be sovereign and our choices can still matter, but that's what your word says. So we'll just believe that. It may be, Father, that there are some here this weekend who have never prayed to receive Jesus as their Savior, and today's the day they're going to do it. And um, no one's going to ask them to raise their hand or to stand up or to speak. But in their own hearts right now, they may pray a prayer like this and say, Jesus, I don't know if I've ever asked you to come into my life and to be my Savior, but I desperately know that I need a Savior because I'm a sinner. And I realize you came to save me. You're the ultimate Joseph came to save me from sin and death to give me the hope of heaven and you did it by dying on the cross for my sins my sins you took on the cross i don't understand that but i believe it you gave your life to me and now i am giving my life to you and i'm beginning to journey with you i don't know what that means either but i'm willing to trust you to become the person that you want me to be but I realize, Father, this is a gift that you're giving to me right now. I don't deserve it. I can't earn it. You are just giving it to me. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Father, if anyone has prayed that prayer, I pray they let somebody know. I pray to receive Jesus tonight, this weekend, this morning. I pray, Father, that uh, you would help them to take the next steps. They would find out what those are. For the rest of us, Father, help us to be the people that you can guide, that care about who you are and 
trust that even when it doesn't seem like it, you are there and you have a plan. Help us to take the guidance that you give us through your word and to be obedient to it. And as we grow in our wisdom, Father, we will find that we are walking the path that you are directing because you found us to be more directable day by day, week by week, year by year. May you lead us and guide us, Father, as we submit to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Would you stand as we sing?